Hello, this is Don McPherson, your host of 12 Geniuses. In season 11 of the podcast, we are exploring resilience, failure and forgiveness, leadership, belonging, and a variety of other topics that when done properly will help us perform our best. Today's guest is Dr. Amy Edmondson, who's a professor of leadership at Harvard Business School. We discuss her book, Right Kind of Wrong, in which she helps us upend our understanding of failure so we are better prepared to make it work for us. In our conversation, we discuss Dr. Edmondson's pioneering work in the space of psychological safety, and we talk about how to distinguish between good failure from which we can learn and the bad failure that should have been prevented. She also gives advice for how leaders, teachers, and even parents can use failure as a learning tool. This episode of 12 Geniuses is brought to you by The Star Conspiracy. The Star Conspiracy is the B2B marketing agency for innovative brands creating the future of workplace solutions. For more information, head over to thestarconspiracy.com. Dr. Edmondson, welcome to 12 Geniuses. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I've known your work, of, of your work for a number of years, and so I'm excited that we have this opportunity to connect today. Why don't you just educate our listeners on who you are and the type of work that you do? Sure. So I'm a professor at Harvard Business School. And my field is organizational behavior, which means I study people at work, you know, people in the sort of context of companies, government agencies, hospitals, you name it. And I'm particularly interested in leadership issues and sort of interpersonal dynamics that affect the production of high quality work. So I know you from your work on psychological safety, and a lot of people will associate you with that term. You kind of educated us on that a number of years ago, but you have a new book coming out called Right Kind of Wrong, The Science of Failing Well. And I'm curious to know what you mean by failing well. <laughs> and, and it's because, you know, words can feel a little bit ambiguous. It's failing, right? Yes, it is, right? Not feeling well, but failing well. F-A-I-L, which, you know, most of us recoil at the idea. I mean, just instinctively, we recoil at the idea uh, of, of failure, understandably. Right? Of course, each and every one of us prefer success to failure. And uh, I'd say the, the, the whole idea of failing well is indeed to avoid as many avoidable or preventable failures as humanly possible. And we can get, you know, we can, we can take a look at what that means and, you know, how, how can we all do better to not experience the kind of failures we don't have to experience, right? And then draw a line in the sand. There is another type that in any kind of full adventurous or, or successful life, you must have, right? You're required to have them. So failing well is having more of the good kind and fewer of the bad kind of failures. And so the good kind are the kind that are, in a sense, they're the only way to get the knowledge that you need to move forward in some domain, whether that domain be searching for a life partner or starting a company or succeeding in a new sport, um, you know, or just whatever career advancement um, you're trying to pursue. And so it's, it's, and uh, those are the time that failure is okay is when it's, it's sort of the only choice. What it really means here, let's, let's be simple. Right? What it really means is you have to be willing to take risks. You have to be willing to experiment. And if it's a genuine experiment, some of them, wait for it, will end in failure. 
And if it's not, a, if it's a fake experiment, you can, you know, I'm going to take this risk, but it's not really a risk. You see exactly how to pull it off. That's great too, but that's not, that's probably not pushing you as far as you could be pushing yourself. So if, if the, if the thing that you're hoping to do, you know, whether that's uh, picking up ice hockey or, you know, finding a life partner is, cannot be just forced into place by your sheer desire to make it happen. You like it or not, will be in a situation of having to sort of place some bets, right? I'm going to go on this date and hope it goes well. I'm going to try out for this team and, and, and hope I'm okay. Um, and I'm prepared to, to go through the inevitable failures or, you know, disappointments that that new ambitious path will require. So you're kind of outlining good failure. What's bad failure? You know, any, anything that's preventable. Now that sounds circular, but preventable means there was knowledge of how to get the result you wanted, but, but you, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Right? You, didn't, you didn't follow the recipe. You didn't use the checklist. You didn't try hard enough. You didn't study for the math test, right? And, and you experienced a failure. But the, the, the preventable failures are basically, I think the simplest way to think about it is that they're in known territory. They're, they're in, in areas for which there is knowledge you could have gotten had you, you know, decided uh, to, to, to focus and, and do it carefully. Why is failing well important and how do we learn to do it? Because I think this is, this is really an important element and you're tying failing with learning as yes. we're, you know, you're, you're you know, that's really what we're getting yeah, out of this, right? That's what we're talking about. You know, we're talking about a life of never ending learning or a career of never ending learning. I mean, your, uh, your commitment to this podcast is, is a commitment to your own learning and the learning of your listeners, right? You're going to, and, and clearly every time you invite a new guest, you're taking a small risk, sometimes a larger risk. And you, you're, you're hoping that you can pursue the goal of, of learning. And yes, when we're talking about failure, we're really talking about learning. And even the so-called bad kind of failures have lessons. So I want to be very clear that we can and should learn from all failures. You know, even the littlest ones, there could be just that little insight that, huh, I sort of was doing that in my sleep and that's not the best way to do that, you know, slightly challenging task. But, but we can learn. So it's really all about learning. And by the way, psychological safety is all about learning too. A short way to say psychological safety, to describe psychological safety is it's a learning environment. It's an environment where you know you won't be rejected for getting it wrong, you know, for asking for help, for, for offering a dissenting view. It's, a, it's an environment where people are more committed to the learning than to being right and showing off. And that's surprisingly rare. And so similarly, I think this is another lens on this same basic topic, which is that we humans have to be continuous learners. And, and, and we don't have to be, but if, you know, if we want to have full and joyful and lives that, that are or, and or full of accomplishment, then we have to be learners. 
Yeah, I see kind of your work as being psychological safety as being the bottom floor. And then this failing well is is like the next step, because you're not going to take risks if you if you don't have psychological safety, right in your family at, at work. And so this is once the psychological safety is there, then you're willing to take risks, you're willing to take, you know, propose innovative ideas and, and that sort of thing. Yes, I think of it like there's a, you know, a safety net, right? You're willing to you're you're willing to let go of one trapeze to grab another because there is a net down there. This isn't a, you know, a death wish. And, and, and similarly, you're willing to take those smaller or larger interpersonal risks at work or, you know, experimental risks, bold challenges, because you do believe they're there to, people are there to catch, catch you, you know, when, when things go off. You make a distinction between a mistake, an error, and a failure. And why, why is knowing the difference important? I think it's really important. But I do, I, first, I, I do treat mis- the words mistake and error as, as essentially synonymous. There may be a subtle difference there, but I think error just sounds fancier, right? It's like more academic uh, sounding and mistake is more colloquial. But a mistake or an error exists when there is a, a right way to do it. There is a known process. And for whatever reason, it wasn't followed. You, you uh, put the you know, you put the milk in the cupboard, not in the fridge, right? That's a mistake, you know, and, and a failure, failure is a larger category, right? Failure, a mistake could produce a failure. If you don't correct the mistake, that milk in the cabinet will spoil. And that's a failure, albeit a small one. And, but, but failure describes something that doesn't go as hoped. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a non-success, I guess. Um, and that again, that can be very small, <clears throat> sorry, or or very large. But mistakes can lead to failures, but not all failures are caused by mistakes, right? And and especially the good kind, the intelligent failures, um, a failure in new territory, which is essentially when you run an experiment that did not produce the result you had hoped and had reason to believe might be might work, that's a failure. It, but there was no mistake involved. Right? It was a legitimate, thoughtful experiment. It might have worked. Nobody could have known in advance that it wouldn't work, uh, or maybe someone. But you know, but for practical purposes, you couldn't know in advance. So it's not a mistake. You know, so a mistake implies the existence of a recipe to follow, and 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 a failure is a larger territory that encompasses you know this whole sort of landscape of disappointments. We hear a lot about failure, particularly in innovative companies, software entrepreneurs, fail forward, fail fast. I'll never invest in, in an entrepreneur who hasn't failed. What are your thoughts on that, knowing this research that you've conducted? So I'm a fan and it's incomplete. But so it's, it needs just a little bit more precision, in my view, to be helpful because it applies this idea of fail fast, fail often, or you know, let's let's only invest in the entrepreneur who's already failed. Applies so long as we're talking about intelligent failures. It's so long as we're talking about the failures in new territory that literally could not have been, you know, that gain us knowledge that could not have been gained any other way. That's valuable. We should push for more of it because we're you know, our goal is to stay ahead of the competition, you know, to be on the leading edge of what's possible, whether with a new tech company or 
a scientific discovery or an invention, you name it, right? That's, it applies to, to the domain I call novel, right? But, but when you, if you say it and it just sort of sounds like we're supposed to think this is valid for everything, people instinctively know that's just not true. You know, they're hearing that message, but they're hearing it as a mixed message because in their heart, in their head, they know, but wait a minute, if I just mess up this thing over here, this known thing over here, I'm going to get in trouble. You know, and maybe some, sometimes rightly so, right? If you sort of mail it in on something that could have been done with precision and care, we're not going to throw a party for you on that one. And so the, 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 the sort of happy talk about failure falls short only in not being precise enough. As I hear you talk about that as an investor, I think, you know, listening to you, I would, I would say, okay, what has this person learned from that failure? That would be the prerequisite. Not did, did that person fail, but I want to know the lessons that they learned. So when we do invest, they apply it going forward. Right. And they can, there's no reason why an entrepreneur that you might want to invest in can't have learned from someone else's failures or from reading about the, the, the domain they're interested in, you know, very carefully and really understanding. It's like any good scientist, understanding what has worked, what has not worked. And, and then articulating you know, a, a, a business model, a proposition that makes sense, right? And then even articulating carefully why they, are, they believe they are able to set up the operations to deliver on that model, right? I mean, if they can do that, and since they've done their homework, they've learned from other failures, then I, they're worth investing in. You alluded to this a little bit earlier, our brains are wired to avoid failure and resist change and seek low risk situations. But in today's world, taking risks, being agile, those are where the rewards are. How do we overcome our biology and embrace these activities that may result in failure? Well, I, th I think it's, it, we do this at three levels and, and maybe we need all of them or, or maybe just, you know, one or two and we just keep practicing. But the, the three levels are really cognitive kind of interpersonal and organizational. And the cognitive is the, is, the, is the task of reframing. And that just means to sort of pause long enough to take a, a cool-eyed look at the situation and remind yourself, you know, that remind yourself, no, I'm not supposed to be good at this already. Or, no, there is no way to know for sure if this, this is a risk worth taking. Or, or this is a this failure that just happened was, does not, is not blameworthy or shameful. It's a necessary step, stepping stone on a path forward, right? So you sort of reframe the situation to be honestly more realistic and accurate so long as it's in new territory. So you just train yourself to be a little more cool-headed about rather than to have those instant emotion. You'll have those instant emotional responses, but you can sort of you can talk yourself down off the off that high perch and say, no, this makes sense. The group, the interpersonal, really, let's go back to psychological safety, right? Let's create environments where people are all about learning and supporting each other in that learning. They're also all about ambition and stretching and, and holding each other to high standards, right? The, the, this is a sort of a learning environment, if you will. And then finally, organizational incentives and structures, systems have to enable risk-taking and 
and you know importantly spread the lessons of the failures that do happen widely so that we never have to experience a particular intelligent failure a second time it's no longer intelligent the second time around so you in a way have to re-engineer every aspect of your world to do this well because it so goes against the human grain right the human grain we want to be perfect we want not to fail we want to be liked we want to always look good you know we want us we want our bosses to think we're fantastic at all times right so you've got to you've got to create at all three levels a sort of non-normal situation and by non-normal i really mean one committed to learning and growing rather than to looking good every organization is different they have different cultures they have different risk tolerance for good reason some are highly regulated some are super innovative and putting out new products all of the time but is there a, a single way that a company should be talking about failure or can you give a couple of examples for how companies and leaders should be talking about failure no i i do not think one size fits all right and and you know every organization probably you know almost every organization operates in all three contexts meaning very consistent well understood contexts you know well understood but variable contexts and novel you know unknown so you know most organizations have a, some at least some r&d right they have at least some sort of production that's you know operations service operations or production operations that is well understood today and then some aspect whether it's supply chain or maybe in services hospitals for example that's that's again we understand what we're supposed to do pretty well but there's so much variability just based on the nature of what we do every patient's different etc right so so but all organizations encompass all three domains but usually our the the heart and soul of an organization belongs in one of those domains right if you're in automotive the heart and soul is in production right it's sort of this excitement of these cars rolling off these perfect vehicles rolling off the end of the line right if you're in pharma in a way your heart and soul is the is the discovery and production of new therapies you know to 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 help people and and if you're in healthcare delivery the heart and soul is in that variable context in the middle so it doesn't matter what you do you need to talk about failure productively if you are in a sort of very high highly re- routine environment where it's super important that things go well you know nearly all the time the way you talk about failure and the way you talk about risk is particularly focused on needing people to speak up absolutely early as possible and when they even don't even have any confidence level whatsoever that they see something wrong like even if it just passes your through your head that maybe that might be wrong raise your hand it were just absolutely inviting people's eyes ears brains to be fully tuned into let's get this right right because our job is to get to keep this nuclear power plant running keep these flights you know successfully flying and so forth if you're in the middle you're tuning into people you're tuning people into conversations all the time like in healthcare delivery for example as a leader you're saying things all the time like complex this is a complex error prone system right it's an or a pilot um that i interviewed who said he tells every new flight crew i have never flown a perfect flight right and they look at him like what are you talking about you know you're the boss right he just says no 
I need to hear from you. He's framing the work as, yep, I'm, you know, incredibly accomplished. I've got however many thousand hours of flight time. And turns out the nature of this beast is things will go wrong and I will make an error, right? So they're describing the potential because otherwise the default is in most organizations that we sort of act as if everything, we're supposed to hit our targets, everything's supposed to go well all the time. We need to actually come clean and talk about the fact that, no, everything doesn't go well all the time. So as to create more permission for people to speak up, more permission for people to experiment, you know, to, to, to stop each other if they see each other doing something unsafe or that they've already learned doesn't work, et cetera. And then, of course, in a sort of novel or R&D or laboratory setting, I think the nudging is like, could you take a bigger risk, right? Don't do so many safe things, right? Like we, this is, this is the place where we can really pressure test our thinking because no one gets hurt, you know, when we're wrong. So you can see that the conversation varies a little in all three cases. It has a lot to do with psychological safety, uh, but it's quite precise and scientific. What are you recommending that leaders do to kind of embrace failure and use it, use it as a learning opportunity within the organization? Well, I think it starts with, you know, coming clean about reality, right? It's sort of, you know, early and often making references to the challenges that this organization faces in a cheerful and positive way. You know, Napoleon supposedly said a leader's job is to paint reality and give hope. And, and sometimes after you've painted reality, you know, hope flies out the window because it just looks pretty, pretty grim and challenging out there. And I think the, the leadership bit that, you know, that extra leadership opportunity is to, is, to, is to say why I think we are uniquely positioned to meet these challenges. So it's, but it's, it's describing the challenge in a way that has some mix of novelty, right? You know, we're, we're on the leading edge of some exciting opportunity, uncertainty, right? You know, no one can know for sure how customers will react or what's going to happen out there or what competitors are up to, right? So, so we're, we're, we're framing novelty, uncertainty. We're framing what lies ahead as a learning challenge, full stop. Right? And that's as a leadership job and an exciting one, not a depressing one, but an exciting one. And, and so, I mean, I think that's really important. If you're, if you want people to be willing to give you the advantage of their thoughts, their ideas, their, you know, their brain power, um, you need to offer them a situation where those things seem logically required to, to make progress. And then I think there has to be both interpersonally and structurally many explicit opportunities to invite ideas, to test things, you know, to push the envelope, right? You're, you're, you're asking people, you're, you're, as a leader, you're in the habit all the time of asking good questions. What are you seeing out there? What ideas, what am I missing? You know, you're, you're just coming across as someone who is curious, but driven. It's not idle curiosity. It's like the, that curiosity is in service of this mission, this purpose that, that we serve. So, you are inviting people to take the risks of learning, to take the risks of experimenting, recognizing that given uncertainty and novelty, at least some of these will end in failure, but they will be valuable. We want to hear about them early and quickly so that we can figure out the pivot together. And then finally, you make darn sure 
never, you know, even casually or carelessly to penalize failure, at least not intelligent failure. Absolutely fine to penalize, you know, criminal actions, you know, bullying behavior that we have explicitly said we don't value around here. But we, you have to be, you have to be one of those people who forces yourself to welcome the news, the disappointing news, you know, a new project that we really thought was going to go well, didn't go well. It's like, well, thanks for that clear line of sight, right? You're just, and that sounds Pollyanna-ish, but it isn't. It's, it's, it's a genuinely smart response, right? Because a clear line of sight is always valuable. There's a word that I've heard you use. Well, there's a couple of words, but one is fallibility. Yeah. <laughs> and that we're fallible human beings. And, and also you, you hear a lot more in the leadership research and leadership literature around vulnerable, being vulnerable and, and that sort of thing. So when you admit you're fallible and when you become vulnerable, then people know, oh, yeah, okay, I, you know, I, I do have that safety net. I'm, I am going to be okay if I make a mistake or if I fail. You know, if you're failing kind of constantly and never getting anything right, I mean, we're going to, you know, we're going to give you some tough feedback. We, we may even at some point have to free up your future. But so it's, it's a, but it's, you know, it's a matter of, it's a matter of what I think what you're doing is framing. First of all, we're all fallible, right? You're kind of, you're coming clean uh, because the truth is you are fallible. They know you're fallible but they don't know that you know, right? right. <laughs> close that one, right? If you can close that gap, magical things will happen. And, 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 and sec so I, like, I sort of say the same thing about vulnerability. It's like, the reality is, if you live in an uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, you're vulnerable, like by definition. You're vulnerable to things happening that you didn't expect. You're vulnerable to disappointments. The only question is, are you willing to come clean about it? And it's a it's not a weak stance, it's a powerful stance. I mean, when you are explicitly and openly clear about the various ways that we and I are vulnerable to what could happen, you're inviting people in to help us actually do everything we can to make it not happen. Uh, because we, you know, success is not our birthright, right? You know, that, that this company is gonna just perpetually succeed ad nauseum into the future. No, of course not, right? So you're... So there's, I just, I think of a fallibility and, and vulnerability just as necessary states, but we should be having more thoughtful, productive conversations about them. Not so that we can wallow in our inadequacy, but quite the opposite, so that we can effectively pursue bold dreams. One of the guests I had on the show maybe a year or two ago, well, actually, maybe it was earlier this year, is Dr. Fred Luskin. He is at Stanford. Do you know him? His I know work the on name. forgiveness. Yeah, he, yeah. He wrote a book. So he he runs the Stanford Forgiveness Projects, and he wrote a book called Forgive for Good. And I wanted to ask you about forgiveness and where it fits into this conversation, because personally, when I have failed, I've been the last person to forgive myself. Yeah. So there's the personal forgive yourself type thing. But as a leader, too, how does forgiveness, the the act of articulating you're forgiven for this mistake or for this failure, how does that fit into what we're talking about? I think it's so important. And it's, you know, if, 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 if as a leader you are, and you can use whatever words you want, but forgiving First of all, I mean, for, most most challenging for a transgression, right? I mean, I think even if we try our very best, you know, not to mess up in known domains, 
occasionally we're going to just retire, whatever, we're going to get it wrong. And to be forgiven, to feel that you have been forgiven is an extraordinary gift. It's like a, you know, so, um, an enveloping sense of, of connectedness and, and being okay. I mean, I think we all deeply want to be included, to be a part of something larger than ourselves. And the, the, the transgression in, in, a, in a moment puts us outside, right? Outside the, the inner circle, outside the, you know, the group that we, that we care about. And to be sort of welcomed back in is a, is a deep sigh of relief. And, you know, even bordering on joyful. And I mean, it's, it's, it's astonishing to know in a, in, a, in a family or a friendship that you can do something wrong and still be loved, right? Or in a, in a work setting, you can, you know, something can go wrong. You can do something wrong and still be a part of the team um, is just super important. You know, and there's no end of apocryphal stories, you know, from from business history of of you know the 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 young manager who makes a say at IBM fifty thousand right, dollar right, mistake, right, right, expects right. to be fired, you know, on the spot, and 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 is having a you know called into the chairman's office who and he's sort of waiting for that moment for that other shoe to fall and says, "Could you get it over with? Just fire me already." Chairman looks at him puzzled. Fire you? Why would I fire you? I just spent $50,000 educating you, right? And it's, it's a lovely, you know, true or, or apocryphal. It's the right message, right? It's like, we're fallible human beings. A lot of things are going to go right, but some won't. And that's part of our education. That's, that is in fact part of your toolkit. That's part of your, that's part of what you bring. You know, it's like the entrepreneurs who failed before, right? It's part of what you bring to the present is your past lessons. And many of those lessons came from failing. For 25 years, I helped measure employee engagement and helped leaders and organizations elevate engagement within their organizations. I found you have to have trust within the organization. That's a foundational element. You have to have this sense of belonging. But what drives engagement, what leaders can do is career development. And what we're talking about now is using failure as a career development tool. That's exactly. the strongest driver. And so... You not only do you, you know, double down on trust, right? By by reinvesting in this person who may may have failed, but you're helping them develop, and so yeah, of course, of course, an an outcome is going to be elevated engagement, discretionary effort, etc. I'm curious in your research if you found demographic differences about failure. I have some hypotheses, and just curious what sort of demographic differences you found. Well, when I, I go back to some of the um, psychological safety research and some of the sort of speaking up and voicing research, and the the one factor that is that consistently shows a gender difference is related to risk, actually. So the, the degree to which, on average, again, lots of variation within groups, but that women put a higher threshold on how confident they need to feel before raising, say, an idea or a concern. It's just they have to have a higher degree of confidence that they're right. right? That, and, and I think we know this, you know, certainly I know this from my classrooms. There's often the women will not raise their hand with a low quality comment. You know, they'll raise their hand when they feel it's going to be a, a high quality comment. And, and so I think there's, there's 
there's that that is relevant here. I think long-winded way of saying I think women are on average more likely, and it's cultural, right? We've, that we've been trained to think you have to, you know, get things right and and, and all of that. So I think this, there's more there's more risk aversion in among women than men. There's certainly, and I do talk about this in in right kind of wrong. There is a greater license or permission to fail culturally in the dominant demographic group of white men. That they, you know, you can you can be that entrepreneur who failed, and everyone's going to applaud you if you are a person of color or a woman or some other underrepresented group. You are far more likely to think of if you know if I get this wrong, I bring my whole group down. You know. People will be making attributions about people like me. So the, the stakes feel higher. And that, you know, I believe, I believe is something that we all must work hard to level the playing field for failure, if, if that makes sense. What should parents, teachers, adults do to help children learn to take risks and deal with failure? I'm a big fan, another Stanford professor, of Carol Dweck's work on growth mindset. And, and I think that's the best starting place I can think of is, is to understand that there is this sort of two distinct mindsets that, that one can have, that kids can have. You know, in the growth mindset, you know, you're thinking of your brain and your other capabilities as, as a muscle, essentially, a muscle that gets stronger with use versus a fixed mindset, which is that kind of cultural messaging that you know, you're, you're, oh, you're smart, you know, you were born smart, you have a high IQ, or you're a good athlete, or you're a good artist, you know, all this, all this messaging that's so prevalent in the culture. And I think as a parent, you want to try very hard to instill a growth mindset in, in your kids. And Dweck recommends making comments about process rather than outcome, you know, instead of, oh, that's a beautiful painting, you say, oh, I love how you're using color. Or you ask questions. How did you think about putting, why did you put the bird up there? And so you're, you're sort of engaging them in a creative uh, learning-oriented process of, of what they are doing and encouraging them to stretch. And the biggest thing you want to accomplish is that they are willing to take the risks of failing. Because if they internalize early on that I'm only loved or successful when I succeed, I I'm going to take the easier tests. You know, I'm just not going to go for it. I'm not going to play to win. I'm going to play not to lose. And I'm going to go after the safe friends. I'm going to, you know, do the sports that are easy for me, not the ones that are hard. I'm going to take the courses that are easy for me. So I think it's very important in families to kind of normalize the fact that when, when, you're, when you're stretching and growing and learning and caring, there will be disappointments. There will be failures. And that's that's part of the curriculum of being human. How is social media playing oh, a role in how we feel about failure? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm in the calm before the storm, you know, where our kids have no idea that that exists. Keep it that way as long as you possibly can. I mean, it's the what I'll say now is based on research and obvious, but still, I think, important, which is that social media posts are curated, idealized glimpses of a life. They are not, you know, a sort of representative sample from a research perspective. So people are putting on only the most attractive photos or the happy moments. And, and there is a, a now documented 
problem for mental health of our of people's consuming, especially teenagers, consuming all of that sort of sense that other people's lives are, are, are perfect and other people look good all the time. And I'm imperfect and I feel worse and worse and worse about myself. Right? So it's, you know, we used to, we used to, we've always had social comparison. We've always had interaction with other people, some of whom are doing better on something, some doing worse on something. But this has slanted our sample dramatically, like biased our sample dramatically toward the positive in ways that can can produce real mental health challenges and make people feel failures even more off limits than we spontaneously think it is anyway. So I think the challenge is to override that. What are two or three most important lessons from right kind of wrong? Well, I think they will they will learn to, first of all, the most important one is to distinguish the good kind of failure, the intelligent failures in new domains from the less good, and then they'll get, they'll, and that will be, that sort of is a, a way to more enthusiastically embrace the right kind of wrong, right? The more enthusiastically embrace the valuable lessons that the good failures bring you. But I, I think it's hard to choose the other two other than it is possible and even desirable to live a, a full life of learning from failure and connecting with others, sharing those those stories that that's what that's what allows us to be fully human and have more joyful and adventurous lives fantastic where can people learn more about you and your work well you can go to amycedmondson.com you can also go to the harvard business school faculty website easy to find and find more of the short articles i've written and longer books this has been a privilege and an honor to have you on 12 (laughs) geniuses dr edmondson thank you for your time and thank you for being a genius Thank you for listening to 12 Geniuses and thanks to The Star Conspiracy for sponsoring this week's show. We will return next week when I interview author and entrepreneur Talia Fox. Talia's book, The Power of Conscious Connection, was written in part to address the epidemic of loneliness by helping people better connect with themselves, each other, and the world around them. Thank you to Richard Jocelyn for producing this show. To subscribe to 12 Geniuses, please go to 12geniuses.com. Thanks for listening and thank you for being a genius. (laughs) 